the giant thinkers giant thinkers podcast hey guys welcome to the show I'm Ram Castillo, and in this podcast, I'm bringing to you top experts from various industries worldwide to learn from their success and to help us become better designers, creatives, and giant thinkers. G'day, Giants. Welcome to episode number 65, a special first ever solo Q&A episode with yours truly to end 2018 Questions submitted by you, the listeners. I've curated the top eight based on the most similar questions asked and also the ones I felt would be the most widely useful or applicable. To help you skip to the answer most relevant to you, as I know many of you are time poor, I'll read all the questions out. The eight questions I've answered in order are question one, any recommendations for working out what is truly important to each of us? Question two, would you stay in a smaller job market to keep your relationship or venture out on your own? Question three, any advice for starting one's own podcast? Question four, what is your go-to breakfast? Question five, I often get anxious when speaking in public. Do you have any advice for overcoming this? Question six, the money conversation with clients always scares me. I'm scared if I charge what I really want, they'll say no and I won't get their business at all. But if I charge too low, that becomes the expected fee moving forward. What can I do to break this cycle? Question seven, with the vast number of interviews you've been able to do, have you seen a common thread in responses from interviewees? Question eight, how do you manage pursuing creative or entrepreneurial goals while keeping up with personal commitments? So they are the eight questions I've attempted to answer By all means, take it with a grain of salt. It's my two cents and is subjective at the end of the day, but I do hope it's helpful. And if you'd like me to do more of these, let me know on Instagram via a DM to my handle, The Giant Thinker. All right, let's dive straight in. Question one, any recommendations for working out what is truly important to each of us? Well, four things come to mind that I personally have applied and often do myself when it comes to figuring out what's important uh, to me and uh, reflecting back on what I would do differently. Uh, First off the top of my list is to break the pattern. Anytime that I feel like uh, I'm a bit lost with deciding what's important and what's not, Um, I need to break the pattern. So I highly recommend that first and foremost um, to get out of your current environment. This might be people, places, things, all of the above. Being on your own is a big part of this as well. And even if you can get a few hours of alone time to change up the routine that you're in, that should kickstart the domino effect of what I would suggest would be the other three things that are tied onto this. So the first thing is to break the pattern. The second thing is to curate your values uh, or revisit the prioritization of your values if you have them very clear in stone. I've written a lot about this in my books. Basically, the values that you have act as your compass. 
and by of course you, I mean me as well, I often find that the things that I choose in my life, the decisions that I make, whether it's a, a small decision or, or a large one, they have to do with at least three of the five values that I have. So, so I would curate down to, to five values and that might be for you creativity, adventure, spontaneity. For others, it might be um, security, commitment, respect and generosity and all these things. You'll find that if you're unhappy, although I'm veering away from the question a bit, but if you're dissatisfied and unfulfilled, you are often finding that it's not meeting the core values of what you feel is important to you. So um, back to the question, any recommendations for working out what is truly important to each of us? That is high up there as a number two to curate your values um, because what's important to you is personal and it's different for everyone. Thirdly, I would highly suggest that you experiment. Uh, test, the good old AB test. Test by doing, not by discussing with your mates or your friends or your peers, not by pondering or hypothesizing. Really try things out for yourself. I mean, that really is the, the truest way of finding if something sticks, which will eventually lead to finding if it's going to be important to you. The whole spaghetti on the wall, seeing if it sticks thing, I often say that a lot. Um, and you know, it's also around uh, a quote that I, I love that's got to do with, um, we can't think our way into action. We can, however, act our way into thinking. Uh, I know Anthony Robbins always says, motion creates emotion. And Tim Ferriss has often said that if more knowledge was the answer, then we'd all be millionaires with six-pack abs. You've got to put yourself through the trenches. You've got to commit. You've got to pull the trigger and, and take action on the things that you probably might not um, find out is actually something that lights you up unless you give it a go. I mean, there's so many things. I'm in that same boat. There's so many things that I want to do that I haven't done yet. Um, you know, I want to, I've always said, oh, I've got still got post-its on my damn wall that say that I want to be highly competent in Spanish. I want to be able to make my own pasta one day and, and, and cook for uh, my friends um, from scratch, you know. So experiment, whatever the minimum viable action is of that thing. And you might just find that it lights you up enough that it becomes important. The fourth thing is more of a mindset shift, and that is to acknowledge and understand that life is a gift. Uh, now, I can go into this in a couple ways, but perceiving life as a gift will give you context on how you can live. So I'll explain. If you perceive your life to be horrible and a drag, then you've already decided that your life is so. Therefore, every encounter or event that happens in your life will interpret, you will interpret as reaffirming that worldview. If on the other hand, you believe that your life is a gift, which I certainly believe it is, then you will treasure it, you'll take care of it, you'll see it as a 
precious and limited um, gift that life should be lived with the fullness and richness of your capability. Um, we are mortals at the end of the day and tomorrow is promised to no one. I, I think the deeper area worth discovering is less about finding what is truly important to us and more about finding where you can most contribute and serve others. You can climb up that ladder of success, but what a shame it would be if you get to the top and realize that it was leaning against the wrong wall. So I hope uh, those four things, uh, recommendations rather, help in working out what is truly important to you. Uh, the recap of that is um, break the pattern, number one. Number two, curate your values. Number three is to experiment. And number four is to remember that your life is a gift. Question two. I'm currently seeing someone and we talk about moving to bigger cities for a bigger job market, but as a couple, we haven't yet pieced together a plan. She has young kids, so it's harder for her to just get up and go. Would you stay in a smaller job market to keep your relationship or venture out on your own? First of all, this kind of ties back to the, to the first question um, a little bit with what's important to you. Um, in this case, I really love it because it's got so much detail in its context. So this um, person has written here that, which I've actually can totally relate to, by the way, um, there was once in a point in my life where I was choosing between um, how much I invest in and commit, right? Because it's really just a, about where you are in your life. If you're going to commit to a relationship or to excel in your professional career or anything for that matter, they, there is a demand of your time, of your energy, of your finances, of your resources, of your entire, um, of your entire self. And what I would say is to really go deep into what you feel you would regret the most. If you feel that if you are not moving to a bigger city, that you really feel that you are missing a, a huge opportunity, and that's really pulling you um, versus um, this relationship, then you need to decide. At the end of the day, you've got to be honest with yourself. I personally think that you can have both um, because I've, I've done it. So if you are in this um, reflection and you find yourself actually just potentially lying to yourself and using the uh, moving to another city as an excuse to get out of a relationship that you think is good but 
not as good as as you'd like. I mean, now we're confronting some some demons here, but um, that's the other thing that you've got to face. You know, is moving to another city just an excuse to um, to end a relationship? If you are truly uh, valuing this relationship, then I believe that you can have both. Um, yes, there's going to be um, struggles on what sounds like your partner's um, side, more so with uh, the kids involved. But I would then say that humans have dealt with much more um, complex issues in the past that this is one that can find compromise. And ask yourself the question with your partner, what would it look like if this could work? You know, in a world where we could both be happy and the kids could be could be happy um, and really just put it all out on the table all your fears all your concerns and match that with potential solutions um, that would be that would be the big thing but but you've got to be really honest with yourself it's a tough one but you have to choose you're not going to be doing any any favors by uh, by not having the big conversation um, it's it's got to be done Question three, advice for starting one's own podcast. I get this question all the time. What I would suggest is, number one, ask yourself if, if podcasting is going to serve a particular strategic need. So by that I mean, um, are you utilizing that channel to serve a particular um, communication need or business need or um, or marketing need or something is is there something about the podcast that you feel uh, so inclined to start up so badly that it does have a place in your uh, your your personal brand or your your business or whatever, because at the end of the day, what I had found with podcasting is that it is a media channel. It's a broadcasting platform where your vibe attracts your tribe, that whole thing, like attracts like, so you've got to really be clear as to what you're broadcasting, why you're broadcasting, who you're broadcasting to, what problem are you solving for listeners to um, pay with their time effectively they are investing and choosing you over over the, the the hundreds and thousands maybe millions now of podcasting shows that are available and it's constantly growing so just really understand the purpose of why you are starting your own podcast and i would challenge those that think oh look i, I just want it to be a creative outlet for me to voice my thoughts I'd kind of go deeper than that and challenge as to, to, you know, and then what? So what? Why don't, you, why don't you paint? Why don't you write in a journal that no one sees? Because podcasting is actually a global platform. Anybody can listen to your podcast. It is a show. It's an on-demand radio show, effectively. Um, so understand that the moment that you hit publish, people are going to be listening to you from all the all over the world potentially, if done right and if done well, 
Um, so be committed to, to that level of reach. Besides that, the technical stuff, I'll give you the, the quick rundown. Number one, I would say when you're starting a podcast, nut out the length of time that you're going to have the show for. Number two, the frequency. So it might be that you can only commit to 15 minutes. 15 minute shows, great. 20 minute, 30 minute, mine go for an hour, um, usually, sometimes more, sometimes less. Whatever it is, commit to it. Commit to the, to the length of time, commit to the frequency. So you might have a show every week, every month. I know some people that, there's one guy that does a four hour show every six months, right? So whatever works for you, but you've got to be consistent with the, um, the time frame and the frequency. The third is about formatting. So what's the format? That you're going to have the show is it um, is it an interview style format which is quite popular that's of course the, the basis of the giant thinkers podcast where I interview guests is your f- format um, storytelling where it's just you or, or about about topics of uh, those that are, are highly spoken about in your industry or your um, personal brand or is it a highly produced show that um, has multiple people and you know, sound effects and, 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 and almost like um, movies for your ears, you know. There's a whole bunch of different types of, of shows. So commit to the, the format once you've got that down pat. So how do you know which is right, which is wrong? To be honest, short shows from five minutes, shows up to five hours. If it's a good show, people will listen to it. If there is a... Um, if there is a clearly defined, so I'll make this point four, if there's a clearly defined uh, positioning of the show and what people can expect to listen to, so I would highly go niche, or as Americans say, niche, go super niche into a particular um, topic so um, or, or subject, um, theme. Be really clear as to what the show is about so that people... Uh, who are interested in that field or that industry can look forward to listening to that show when they feel like it. You know, Giant Thinkers is about um, interviewing the best in the world, experts in their field to help designers, creatives, and and Giant Thinkers, people that, you know, from entrepreneurs to to people that um, really want to give life a good crack, um, you know, hearing straight from the lips and, 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 and minds of... Um, giants um, who can help us navigate our way from the lessons that they've learned. So um, that would that would be the, the the top four important things from a um, kind of from a strategic and organizational point of view. When it comes to the technical equipment, the equipment that I use are um, Rode Procaster microphones for face-to-face interviews. Um, and then I plug that into um, a, a recorder um, and off you go. There are so many different brands out there. Um, I often even bring my Rode lapel mics and they plug into your phone. You can do that in a, in a one-to-one interview. Obviously, that's lower quality, um, but you can even um, plug in your, uh, your USB mics. 
into your computer, straight into your computer, and you don't need a recorder as such because it, it'll record from anything from, from GarageBand to whatever software that you've got on your, on your um, computer. Um, then if it's uh, non-face-to-face, you can do this in numerous ways, but I just record on Skype. There is a software plugin called uh, Call Recorder. I forgot the, uh, the parent company, but it's, uh, if you Google um, Skype Call Recorder, you can download that and install that. Um, into Skype um, and record your uh, interviews if you are doing that type of format. Um, what other technical things? Look, they're, they're the kind of bare bones. You don't need the the all out. I mean, don't don't do what I did. I actually bought this whole deck with like four different inputs and all these leveling. And, and to be honest, it's just collecting dust now. I don't actually use it. Um, keep it simple you can go to your local electronic store and just get some USB mics as, a, as bare bones. Even, even Rode Pro, uh, Procaster mics that I have are, are quite high-end. You don't need that if you're starting out. Um, and especially if, if you're just uh, testing the waters, um, you can always get better equipment um, as, as the show progresses. All right, question four. What is your go-to breakfast? Okay, so my go-to breakfast is the same every single morning, um, 98% of the time of the year. And that is three things within each. I'll explain what I put in. So they are all beverages for a start. The first is a chamomile tea with ginger, fresh ginger, uh, a sprinkle of turmeric powder, sprinkle of cinnamon powder and a sprinkle of more ginger as powder. And then I put a cracker pepper in, pour the hot water one third of the, cu- of the cup, the mug, then the rest with room temperature water to cool it down so I can drink it immediately. I put a few drops of lemon and then a few drops of apple cider. I do this because there are so many super healing, cleansing, um, anti-inflammatory, antioxidant properties in this concoction that I won't get into. You can look at those ingredients individually, especially the ginger and the turmeric and apple cider um, and chamomile tea. I mean, all of this together for me has worked really well in kickstarting my day. And then I would, um, freshen up, have a shower, all that stuff, allow my body to digest that fully. Um, 15, 20 minutes is usually enough to be honest. And then I make myself a green juice. So in that really simple, straight in Nutribullet, um, handful of spinach, some broccoli, and a bit of orange juice, and some water. Not too much orange juice, but it kind of um, lessens the uh, blandness of the uh, spinach and broccoli. So that's why I have blitzed that up um, in a Nutribullet and then uh, scull that down. Half an hour later, um, I will consume the third beverage, which is a protein shake, but there's a whole ton of stuff in it. Um, and I'll, I'll usually just bring this into the office or, or wherever I'm going. And what's in it is um, a little bit of milk, 
whatever whatever you like it's really not that much but um uh, full cream is actually better for you um a2 milk is what i have just um i don't know 100 mils or something like that then i put egg whites so i put about two egg whites in there and then i put a banana some berries more spinach then i put soy based protein powder um I've switched to soy actually, which I'm loving, um, plant-based protein. And then I put uh, chia seeds. I put a little bit of oats, just plain rolled oats. And then I put uh, some nuts and seeds. And then I top the rest up with water. Again, all this is in a Nutribullet. And I blitz that sucker up and pack it with me, consume that and that is my trio breakfast sounds pretty complex but it's not really i keep them in in shakers or jars or, or bottles whatever whatever um, is available to me at the time um, easily transportable and i'm basically just drinking my breakfast and it keeps me full and energized right until lunchtime um, so i've gotten my dose of protein and all the other good stuff Question five, I often get anxious when speaking in public, whether it be delivering a talk to a small audience or presenting my work to clients. Do you have any advice for overcoming this? Yes, because I have and still deal with, with this, this same thing. I think um, by talk number 60, um, and I've done about 65 plus by now um, talks within two and a half years. Um, I have found that there, is a f there are a few techniques that work um, to reduce the anxiety. And, and the first one is really to know your material and, and, and not just know it like uh, you are memorizing something really believe in what you're talking about. I mean, that, that's really the most important thing. It's, it's like you telling a story to your friends about something really um, amazing that, that you witnessed or that happened to you, or, or not even amazing, but something intense, right? You've got to make it truly believable. And the only way that you can do that is if you believe in what you're saying. That's, that's the first thing. The second thing is to acknowledge that the people that you're speaking to already believe that there's something that you can give them that's of value. So I'll say that again. The people that have already shown up, they're sitting there right there. Small group, big group, whatever it is, they are there waiting for, for you because they believe that you're going to deliver them some content or some information that's helpful or valuable to them. When you truly understand that, you then disconnect from yourself and, and remove yourself from thinking, oh, you know, what, what are they gonna, you know, what do they think about my new haircut or these pants or my shoes or, or, or you know, the pimple on my head, I, I don't know. like or how I sound, forget all that. That's, you're, you, become, you become so focused on yourself that you forget 
the people are waiting for you to give them something that they know is already inside you. So just give it to them. And sometimes we, as the ones that are speaking, forget. And then we get so caught up in the anxiety because the anxiety is inward. It's, it's thinking about ourselves where we're, we're not focused on the value that we're going to give, the service, the contribution. So the more that you look outward, that this is a responsibility for you to, to give it your best, to, to, to deliver this thing that you've promised, okay? Whether it's a small meeting or whether it's a, a big conference, you have to focus on that, that you've got to be a professional and you've got to um, deliver. And that it's not about the petty things, you know, the, the, the how you sound or how you look. Um, so that's the second thing. And the third thing I'll, I'll say, so was that the first thing I said was um, believing in what you're saying or presenting. Second thing is looking outward, focusing on the value that you're going to give them. And so the third thing is to prioritize your emotions better. So what do I mean by that? If you are prioritizing the self-talk of, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy to be on here, uh, on this stage, up here saying these things or speaking about this topic or um, I'm um, not ready or whatever it is, all these emotions that reaffirm the anxiety, that reaffirm the nerves, then those emotions are going to take over you because you've prioritized them that way. If, however, you prioritize the non-self-sabotaging self-talk, the, the optimistic, the enthusiastic, the confidence, the belief, all these other emotions that are in your toolkit, they're within you. If you start prioritizing them, which takes time, um, you know, often people say, oh, you know, dude, I get so nervous on stage, you look so comfortable up there, Ram, this and that. And I, and I go, oh, don't get me wrong, the nerves are still there. The nerves are very much still there. It's just that I've learned to manage them better. So I'll say that again. They exist. These nerves, these, the, the fear, the anxiety, they, they will always exist. It makes us human. And in fact, if you weren't nervous, then it wouldn't mean much to you. If you didn't feel the, 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 the butterflies in the belly, then it probably isn't something that excites you. If you didn't get that, it'd probably be something really boring. So understand that these feelings serve a purpose, but you have to overcome them by understanding that you're delivering something that hopefully you believe in, that the audience can absorb and feels of value enough to, to exchange their time to listen to you. And thirdly, that it's an opportunity for you to prioritize your emotions better. So prioritize the confidence, the, the you can do this, the 
you know, you've got this, the, the confidence, the, the fire, all the good things. Let that, that you are good enough, you know, all that self-talk should be up there, not the other stuff. Question six. The money conversation with clients always scares me. I'm scared if I charge what I really want, they'll say no and I won't get their business at all. But if I charge too low, I've now set the bar to that low price point and that becomes the expected fee moving forward. What can I do to break this cycle? Okay, I'm gonna recommend a few resources that provide deep insight into this because it's such a very broad topic. I'll also include links to all those uh, resources in the blog post of this episode, but I'll make mention to them now. Firstly, Blair Enns comes to mind. That's B-L-A-I-R, surname E-N-N-S, Blair Enns. I interviewed Blair in episode 59, and he has two books on the subjects of this. One is called The Win Without Pitching Manifesto, the other is called Pricing Creativity, a guide to profit beyond the billable hour. So this man has taught me and many thousands of creative people and businesses around the world on how to build a lucrative client base without having to pitch ideas for free. Some of the topics we spoke about include how to best position our value in order to win business how to command the high ground in the client versus creative relationship, his approach to proposals, his view on retainer clients, rules on pricing creativity, and so much more. So if you're someone who is interested in moving from a vendor position to an expert practitioner position, then episode 59, 59 is for you and his books I mentioned as well are in depth into these um, subject matters around uh, money and pricing as a creative. Other notable episodes where we speak about the money conversation and value propositions are episode seven with Andrew Hoyne of Hoyne Design. Uh, he's actually a massive mentor of mine, has been for many years, and episode 25 with Ted Leinhart a master negotiator and former Fitch Worldwide Chief Creative Officer, we talk about getting what you're worth. Now, we all know that price is what one pays and value is what one gets. There's also a perception associated to price, especially when it comes to quality and experience. Ultimately, you need to price yourself based on the outcome and result that you can deliver for your customer. So for example, if a heart surgeon said, I can save your life for $100,000 and it's via surgery, the surgery would take eight hours. Well, what would it matter if it took eight hours or eight days? If he or she was going to save your life, isn't that what you're paying for? The time it takes is completely irrelevant. The result is what you're after. So the same goes with um, that story of the engineer, I believe, and there's different versions of this, but something along the lines of this engineer uh, was the only one that could, uh, in the area that could solve this factory's problem, or was it a submarine? I don't know, something. But uh, he got called upon and uh, in uh, about three minutes, he, he was knocking around 
finding the, the problem in a few minutes. He found it and his fee was $30,000. What the manager said to, to the, uh, this contractor, you're charging $30,000 for, uh, for a three minute inspection basically and then you, you fix that within a few minutes. And then this uh, engineer fellow said, well, it's taken me not three minutes, but 30 years to get to where I am in order to find the problem in three minutes. And the outcome of saving your factory or your submarine or whatever it was, uh, far outweighs the, the 30,000 fee. So my advice is to price based on the value you'll create for your customers, or as Blair Enns actually says, price the client, not the job. The other thing I'd like to note is to understand where your skill set and expertise level is in comparison to the market. So this is kind of an all important part two. It contextualizes this, you know, not all of us can, can be charging that much, you know, an 18 year old Sir Richard Branson would not be able to charge much when he was at that age for a 30 minute keynote presentation, let's say. Now you'd be lucky to even have Sir Richard respond to an invitation, even if you offered him a million bucks or five million bucks. So acknowledge where you are on your service offering journey, research the market price point and position yourself at the higher end of that scale based on your current experience and level of expertise. Then increase your price point as you increase your proof in the pudding. Question seven. With the vast number of interviews you've been able to do, have you seen a common thread in responses from interviewees? The first thing that comes to mind is that Everyone I've interviewed from Kelly Slater, 11 time world surf champ, to Russell James, the main photographer of Victoria's Secret, uh, to Debbie Millman, to Michael Beirut, to um, doctors, to heads of global heads of Nike, Visa, Deloitte, um, Squarespace, you know, WordPress, goodness me, um, uh, Matt Mullenweg the founder of WordPress. You know, there are so many incredible people I've interviewed and every single one of them have reminded me how very human they are despite their level of um, expertise. Um, how very human they all are, you know. Um, that's the biggest thing that I've seen as a common thread. Um, now that's expressed in a couple ways you know how uncertain and concerned and confused many of them were when they started out in their field lots of them didn't have the answers just like many of you starting out and or maybe you know like me you're kind of finding what the next thing is for you that uh, is the next mountain that you want to climb they've been in that same boat and many of them are still in that boat now you know they con continually want to explore and discover um, how very humble they are as well is another thing until now the brutal honesty of not knowing what they don't know i remember asking david lee the 
global chief creative officer of Squarespace some questions and he just responded with some of them you know I, I don't really know the answer to that but my interpretation is dot 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 so they aren't afraid to say that they don't have all the answers in in, in a lot of things um in work or in life and and they're also dealing with the same issues that um, we face every day from time management and balance and um, pursuit and trying to have a successful side hustle, whatever it is. Um, They also have a deep hunger for continual learning and improvement, which I highly value. Oh, and one of the questions I ask every guest is if you could travel back in time for 30 seconds and speak to your younger self, the one finishing high school, what would you say? And most of them have versions of you're doing great, have more fun and be kinder to yourself. And the last question, question eight. How do you manage pursuing creative or entrepreneurial goals while keeping up with personal commitments? Really great question. Firstly, let's acknowledge that if you're listening to this podcast, you have some type of smartphone device or computer and have access to this wonderful thing called the internet. And the fact that we have the choice to entertain the desire to pursue an idea or entrepreneurial venture is in itself a first world problem and a huge blessing. For so many personal commitments like providing and taking care of a family, working two, three, four jobs even, juggling life's circumstances and other responsibilities are all they can do. So I manage my pursuit of creative or entrepreneurial goals while keeping up with personal commitments by auditing and protecting my time. That's it. I see time as the most precious resource, a resource that isn't renewable. I believe time is sacred. And so I audit my time and have gotten better and better over the years. And I've cut out many distractions and time eating activities that don't serve me or move the needle of my creativity or entrepreneurial goals. This kind of ties back to the first question too about working out what is truly important. If it's important to you, you will find a way. If it's not, you'll find an excuse. If it's important to you, you'll stop binge watching on Netflix. You'll stop hanging out with toxic people who critique, let's say, and yet never go and do things themselves. Maybe you'll finally stop blaming others your parents maybe, your shitty circumstance, your job, your partner, your addiction, alcohol, drugs, sex, partying, gambling, smoking, eating, whatever it is, you'll finally stop because your purpose will pull you and your creativity and entrepreneurship, especially when it collides with solving problems for people and serving others, may very well just lead you to that purpose. 
Giants, thank you for tuning in to the final episode of the year. This actually marks 65 episodes in three and a half years and can't wait to bring you even more incredible guests in 2019. There are some huge names already in the pipeline and as long as you're wanting more podcast content, I'll do my very best to keep delivering. May you have a wonderful, joyous, peaceful and safe New Year's celebration and may that continue throughout the entire year, hoping that you laugh lots, create more, stress less, feed that curiosity, spread more kindness and live your truth. For any questions, or if you just want to say hello, hit me up on Instagram. I'd love to hear from you. My handle is the giant thinker.